Welcome to the Startup Competitors Podcast, where we talk with early stage entrepreneurs and to understand what information they use to inform product roadmap, strategy, and market differentiation. Want regular updates on moves your competitors are making? You can learn more at startupcompetitors.com. Hello there. Today, we're chatting with Chris Hall, who's the co-founder and chief product officer at Otis, O-T-U-S dot com. Chris and I chat a lot about building software for school districts and what that means in terms of teaching, grading, analyzing, planning, a little bit about the Otis story, where they came up with the product idea and how they took it to market. Then we spend a fair bit of time talking about the product roadmap and how they balance customer feature requests versus things that they know they need to do from a just a market trends perspective. And then we wrap things up surprisingly with a conversation around pricing. It's a great in-depth conversation about how they think about pricing, particularly as it comes to, you know, a little bit of an enterprise sale with a complex product, a little bit of a selling into school systems, which are notoriously one of the more difficult markets to penetrate. Chris just has some really great pragmatic advice in there for how to think about pricing from early startup to, you know, more established enterprise offering. I really enjoyed that part of the conversation. So give this one a listen. You can find Chris on LinkedIn, Christopher Hall on LinkedIn and look for Otis in his byline. You can reach out to him there, say thank you for coming on the show and really hope you enjoy. Most founders start companies because they figured out a better way to solve a problem or serve a need. Not because they love tracking payroll, filling out compliance forms, and explaining employee benefits packages. And yet, all that stuff still has to be done. That's why there's Fullstack PEO. Fullstack PEO specializes in turnkey HR for emerging companies. Not just those core services, but advice and expertise that helps founders maximize employee potential. Curious? Find more at fullstackpeo.com. Welcome to today's show. We're chatting with Chris Hall, who's the co-founder and chief product officer at Otis. Chris, welcome to the show. Excited to be here, Mike. All right. Why don't we start with a quick pitch for Otis? Yeah. So um, Otis is a single platform. So a single place where we provide the tools to teach, to grade, to analyze, and to plan. And really what we're working to do is we want to kind of eliminate all the chaos around an educator or family's life so that you can really focus on what matters most, which is, you know, the teaching and learning, and then really understanding where your kid is at, if you're a family member, or if you're an educator, where your students are at, and really help them plan to get better every single day. And then target customer you're selling to, is that both school systems and parents? How does that work? We really are targeted for districts. So districts or schools adopt us, and they're the ones who bring us in, and we're the one, that's where we do our training. But then we really provide access to our platform to students, to families, and then to educators. And we really believe it's important to support all adult stakeholders in terms of we provide in-app chat support for all adult users of Otis. And then we really make sure all users, you know, family, students, and educators have the tools they need to be successful because a lot of school is actually not focused on the teaching and learning because there's all these administrative tasks that need to happen. And that's even become more true in this, you know, pandemic and COVID where we now have to be monitoring the health and safety checks. But it's so much administrative overhead that's really not leaving enough time for the teaching and learning, which is really the most important. If we look at schools, what are they really aimed to do? It's about helping students 
progress and become good citizens and good individual thinkers and readers and writers and collaborators. And then your background in why did you start Otis? So I was a seventh and eighth grade social studies teacher, and I really looked to use technology as a way to make me more efficient. I had 150 students, and I always felt like I was behind the eight ball trying to grade and to plan, and there was just so much going on. I was trying to find uh, tech ways to kind of stay ahead, and I was lucky enough to help co-write a grant that was going to bring one device to every kid, which I thought was going to be the ultimate game changer for me. Talk about efficiency, giving everybody a computer instead of having to print. It was actually an iPad, but instead of having to print and all these things, I thought having everybody have a device was going to be the ultimate, making me more efficient. I wouldn't have to carry around their binders. I'd be able to look at their blogs online. And what ended up really happening was this one-to-one device actually exposed real inefficiencies and data problems that were in schools. And Otis was really born out of my need to find something that would make me more efficient again and really putting these tools that I was using in a single place to really help maximize learning for every kid. And so my background is in from the classroom. I used Otis for five years myself as we were building and tinkering and improving every day. I left the classroom in 2018 to go focus fully on Otis as we really began to grow then and become a platform used across the entire country. So Hit us with some current stats, any vanity metrics you can share about the business that could be number of school districts, students, revenue, funds raised, size of the team, anything that paints a picture for the listener on where you guys are at on the journey. Yeah, I think that's really good. I think we're right now that the stats that I think we're really proud of is we're in almost 200 districts across the United States. We're actually beginning to become a little bit international as well. We're in almost 40 states. Our revenue has grown 300% annually, which is also, I think, a really amazing number to look at. And I do think this number, I don't know about a vanity number, but it's a number I'm really proud of. We have 75 employees, and it's one of those things where our team is absolutely incredible. And I don't think we would be here at all, let alone, you know, as far as we've come without the amazing team we've had. And nearly 40% of our, our team are former educators, and we really balance the educational experts with technology experts. And that collaboration, that mutual respect, I really think has allowed us to create a really unique culture, but a really unique company as well, where we have this really great marriage of technology, but also this educational insight. Congrats, dude, that's fantastic. And for reference, when I hear district, because I'm not an educator, should I hear basically a city? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. That's a little bit of the hard part about education in the United States, where usually it's a collection of schools that serve kindergarten through 12th grade. So, you know, that could be in some states like Illinois, districts are rather small. There might be like 12, 15 schools in a district, you know, and they're just, you know, a handful of elementary schools, two or three middle schools, and then a high school. So that's one way. But then in other parts of the United States, like a district could be a collection of 50, 60 buildings and sites. So it's really this, I know that's probably a little bit of a nuance or in the weeds for the listeners, but there really is a quite a dichotomy between the United States of like these small districts. And then also in other parts of the U.S. where we have these like really large districts and we serve both. We serve really large districts in New Jersey and Illinois and out, you know, out West and and California. But then we also serve, you know, really small districts where there's like two schools and it's, you know, these can be in some of the smaller towns in the U.S., but it really can be like a town to a city, I guess. My long answer, now that I've come to the same conclusion you said, which 
kind of depends to the, the size of the <laughs> population, a city or a town, that would be a good way of looking at it. Awesome. So like 200 districts sounds like that could be a state almost. So, I mean, that's pretty broad adoption. Is that fair? Like how many districts are there in the United States? There are about 15,000 districts in the U.S. And so like we're definitely beginning to get a foothold. And it's one of those things where we're growing our market share. I really anticipate, you know, we've really grown, as I mentioned, like 300% from year to year annually. So I think we've really seen this growth. It's one of those things where we're seeing this tipping point come. And it's something where I think, you know, as the pandemic I don't know if it'll ever fully leave, but as we kind of go back to our new normal, I think we're seeing more and more districts realize that with the potential of having to do remote or hybrid learning, maybe even, you know, if there's a quarantine situation for classrooms, we're really seeing this adoption because the platform we provide, the tools, again, to teach, create, analyze, and plan, we're really seeing that be needed more and more. I really think that our growth is something that, you know, we've It went from under 100 districts almost to 200. And all of a sudden, it's like that type of growth really begins to multiply. When you share with your neighbors that you found a good tool, it really allows growth to happen much more quickly. When you're going out to bring on a new district, talk to me about that process. What does that look like? Is somebody from that district reaching out to you because they've heard about you, seen you, you know, have a friend who teaches in another district who's mentioned your product or, and I'm sure the answer is it's both, or you're also probably actively soliciting those districts. But talk a little bit about what that sales cycle looks like. There are two real, as you mentioned, there are two paths. So the first path is like the path that I think is best. It's the one that we hope we do more and more, which is really that referral path where we're in a district and we're really having this high success and they turn to their neighbors and they share, hey, you have to check out Otis. They're really helping us achieve our initiatives. Really as a platform, you know, we're a an efficiency and transparency tool so that districts can achieve their initiatives, their goals. And because of that, when you're successful, it's something you really are proud of. And we really see that nice referral process. So in the referral process, we're in a district, they have great success. They share that success with either their neighbors or their colleagues. And then we all of a sudden start that sales process where we then go in and do a demo. We showcase what Otis can do. We really think of it like almost like a tailor experience where we're tailoring the experience to you. Otis can be used in a a wide variety of ways. And because of that flexibility, it's important that we kind of craft that path with the district we're talking to. The second path for this, you know, sales cycle is we somehow gain the district's attention. And that could either be the building leader. It could be like the curriculum leader, their assessment leader. So again, maybe the leader in the teaching and the grading space within a district, they hear of Otis and we do this via social media ads. We've also done conferences where you can go to these educational conferences and share what we're doing, highlighting some of those success stories that we have plenty of. And really we gain their attention through this outreach, which could be again, social media or maybe a conference. And once we gain their attention, it kind of goes into the cycle of, hey, let's get on to a demo with you. Let's craft that experience so it's going to be successful. And then really we go from there and we really want to be able to then train the educators on the platform and really empower them to achieve the goals that they have for their district and their kids. With that in mind, talk to me a little bit about competition in the space. Who else is building the types of solutions that you're building and how does that how does that play into that sales process? When you think of competition in the space, who or what comes to mind? You know, the history, I was a former history teacher. We could take my history like hat on or my history perspective on it. It really has changed over the last three or four years. And so 
When I talk about in the past, there were these teaching tools, which often are referred to LMSs or learning management systems. And so there is this entire space around these learning management systems with things like Schoology and things like Canvas or even Google Classroom. And these learning management systems were, you know, are definitely one of the things we compete with. You know, Otis has the tools of a learning management system, which really are the tools for the teaching and the grading, the facilitation of lessons or playlists of activities. And then that kind of morphs into this idea of grading, this idea of measuring learning. And a lot of these tools will then, you know, measuring learning. And at the tech space and the education space, there was... um in the past, there was this kind of standalone place where you could have these assessments, this assessment engines or assessment systems kind of be their own entity. A lot of those in the classroom, so if I'm a teacher, the assessments I'm giving in the classroom, those fit into your traditional LMS. And so those, again, are things like Schoology and Canvas and Google Classroom, and there are dozens of more, and there's some really good ones out there. And so we're in that space. But one of the things that Otis does a little differently is we also want to be able to do benchmark assessments and benchmark assessments are things that the entire district wants to roll out like a third grade. Every third grader is going to take this test. And so that really becomes like you need to make sure that your test is valid for all those students. You have to make sure you can organize the data so there can be analysis on those assessments. And Otis also has that capability. And so when we look at what Otis is able to do, we almost try to like if you look at a Venn diagram, we try to combine a couple different spheres or landscapes into one. And so, you know, there are a couple systems that allow you to do or competitors out there that allow you to do this like benchmark assessment. You know, one of them is this company named Illuminate. You know, they have a program out there that allows you to do this benchmark assessment. And we compete in that space too. And we have a really great assessment engine allowing you to grade in both an individual classroom level or in an entire district, an entire town, an entire city. And Finally, this really long-winded answer is there's another space around data analytics or a data warehouse. And this is where, you know, you want to collect information that might be from the state assessment or there might be a national assessment or maybe there's some program you're partaking in, but you want to collect all that information in one place. Well, Otis also does that. And what we have found is by having the tools to help you teach and to grade and to analyze all this information, this data warehouse tools, we have all of that in one place. And that's really why when we have these competitors, we're in this like interesting gray area, because when you're talking to these districts, you often have to use the language of, oh yeah, an LMS or an assessment engine or a data warehouse. And these are like the traditional spaces in ed tech. And what we're trying to really do is kind of reimagine that where all of this information is really about a kid, you know, and we're really talking about how did the student perform? How is the student doing? And that could be related to their attendance. It could be related to their behavior. It could be related to that classroom assessment. It could be related to that national assessment that's like once every year. It could be something that might be done more quarterly. We want all of that into a single place. And we want this like comprehensive profile about a kid to really be accessible for all the educators and families so that we can be on the same page to problem solve and to collaborate, to be able to progress monitor, which is our final kind of tool so that we can create a plan for every kid to maximize learning. And so when we really look at this competitive landscape, it's been a really interesting experience because we've been in these like four different landscapes, this four different competitive landscapes, and we've actually learned and tailored ourselves to kind of be that middle of the Venn diagram so that, hey, we've noticed a lot of districts need all of these things, 
we can be that one tool instead of balancing maybe three or four other tools. And we've, you know, really tried to create these uh, four pillars of ourselves so that we can stand in multiple competitive landscapes and really compete and really help districts be efficient in these multiple initiatives that they have. It's been interesting because as an educator, I was using many of these tools and it was that bouncing around between places that really we're trying to solve. And it's like, hey, we, we know each of these tools has value, but if we put it, you know, a comparable tool into the same platform, it can be easier to use, more efficient to use, and then more comprehensive in what it's able to do and actually gather in terms of the information involved. So as chief product officer, the million dollar question for you would be, uh, there's a couple of ways to take that. So one is, how do you balance? I mean, it's basically four different products that you've rolled up into one experience for a district. One key question there then is, how effective are you at that? And how do you measure that? How do you think through that from a product roadmap perspective? I'd love your thoughts on that because it's a, as a differentiator, when you're going out to a district, that's super compelling, right? You could go find four products that are all like, you know, really good at this thing, but they only do that one thing. And now you have to figure out how to integrate them, how to leverage them most effectively and things like that. One of the pieces of value of a product like Otis is that if you have all those under one roof, it ideally you would start to see more synergies with that data across the different platforms and there'd be some level of efficiency. How do you think about that? How do you measure it? How do you track it? Are you doing it? I'd love your thoughts from a product roadmap perspective on how you find that balance. So I think that balance is achieved by collaborating closely with the districts we have at hand and really making sure we understand what are their key performance indicators or, you know, their KPIs or their metrics that how are they going to be successful? Because I think as a product, really, you need to make sure that you have a vision for yourself and a vision for use, but that in terms of like, are you being effective? It really comes down to capturing is the district or, in our, you know, the user, our case, it is a district able to achieve their results. And so what we do really carefully is we have a really amazing CS team, a client success team, and our CS team really is able to map out, hey, these are the key initiatives for each district. So we have that, we have that profile, almost like what teachers do at Otis, we do with, you know, our clients is, okay, here's your goals. And then we kind of can put them into different buckets, right? And we can say, okay, here are the primary use cases around district benchmarking and the idea of like, having actionable insights afterwards so that you can, okay, we're going to give this a big assessment to our kids. What are we going to do after? So we have different buckets that we put our districts into. And then we really are monitoring the metrics around, you know, are they logging in? Cool. Are they creating assessments? Are they completing lessons? Are they tracking attendance? Are they tracking behavior? So we have these key metrics that we're measuring and we're able to, therefore, with that information, look at the overall health of our different districts, our different clients, our different users. And so when we look at the overall health, we then can look up again and look at this aggregate about, oh, are we having districts who, again, we use this system, you know, which is really green, yellow, and red about our districts progressing and growing in their use of Otis, that would be green. Again, they might go in with one entry point and they're expanding to more use of the system. Great, they're, they're really flourishing. Their usage is good. Their growth is good. They're, they're reporting back that they're being successful. We have another bucket of, again, these yellow, and it could be things that are, hey, we're reporting some pain points about adoption, or we're reporting pain points of use of this feature that they wanted. And so with these different buckets, we can then problem solve and iterate to ensure that as the product, 
we're going forth on our vision, which again is to be this comprehensive tool to maximize learning for every kid around teaching, grading, analyzing, planning. But then we also want to make sure that districts are being successful in their rollout and implementation. And we really want to focus that Otis is easy to use and that it really is providing the tools that are necessary. And so we really think we've nailed the tools. We've really heard great things about our ease of use, but we're kind of doubling down on that right now as a product because we have so many different stakeholders with a wide range of data literacy and even tech literacy. We really have to meet the users where they're at. And then how much, with that much interaction with existing users and kind of product efficacy, how much your roadmap is responding to that feedback from customers, kind of the short-term immediate needs that you're seeing and the data for how they're using it, specific feedback that they're giving you, potentially even specific feature requests that they're making versus your team looking at where the market is going and, and trying to play the puck where it's going to be, right? And I think maybe to summarize that, responding to immediate customer feedback and needs versus road mapping out three, five years in the future and saying, okay, for us to be competitive five years from now, we need these features, whether or not our customers are asking us for that today. That's a perfect question. And that's like the balance you're trying to strike in the organization. And so what we do is we have prioritization cycles. And so we really prioritize ourselves for the next eight weeks. We have then these yearly goals. So we have like yearly goals we want to hit. And those are much more entrenched around as I like, we want to be able to scale to 10x our usage. We want to be easier to use. One of the big things we want in our organization, because last year we really focused on uh, teaching and learning during the pandemic, we really want to focus on our data analytics visualization. We have an amazing wealth of information, but we want to make the visualization more customizable and easier to do. We've identified these kind of mile markers or kind of tent poles of what we're doing. But yeah, in terms of the listening to feedback, we want these eight-week prioritization cycles to have a nice balance between okay, yeah, we need to make sure we're scalable. Okay, we're going to be doing that work. And so that eight-week cycle really allows us to do that. In addition, during every eight-week cycle, we try to have about 80% of the work be these projects that are prioritized every eight weeks. And the other 20% of work, we like to allow it to be a little bit more you know, agile, a little bit more like, let's listen to it. Let's listen to all our stakeholders. And those stakeholders could be our users, like, hey, is there a way we can improve this information? A, a tooltip would help this. Like, can we provide a little bit more context? Or, hey, like, we really want to have a preview of this before. Like, little stuff. But we also want to be able to do that as well with our delivery team. If there's an engineering story or a UX improvement that our UX team or engineering team, we want there to be some ability to fit it in versus everything waiting until the next eight-week cycle. And that's kind of that balance, this 80-20 balance and this balance between eight-week cycles and these yearly goals. Can you give me an example of what a focus might look like for an eight-week cycle? I think you gave some examples for the yearly goals, right? I picked out of like 10x, 10x the load and, you know, number of users type of thing. And that makes a ton of sense for a yearly one. What would be like an example of an eight-week cycle? So some of the ones that we just finished up that we could kind of use as examples are, um, so we're all of a sudden... I don't know when this podcast is going to be coming out, but this podcast is going to be coming out around the start of school, which is between August and September. And, and really, we had a couple of things we had to get ready before we were getting you know back to school fully. And so we had a couple of things that we really wanted to do. And so those would include, for example, we had a new single sign-on method. And so 
For example, there is this one option that's called Clever. And we had Clever for a long time. And then there is a competitor to Clever named ClassLink. And some of our district use ClassLink SSO. So for the beginning of this school year, we then completed a SSO for ClassLink. Another one that would be around this eight-week cycle would be we had this really requested feature for our assessments to be able to unsubmit a kid's assessment. During the pandemic, oftentimes kids would accidentally submit an assessment before it was completed. And in Otis, if you do that, there wasn't a great way to unsubmit it without a grade. In the past, it was like, give it a grade and then like the kid can redo it. But we really was like, I don't want to give it a grade. It was an accidental submission. So we have this big requested feature. So that was a feature that came out in these, you know, eight weeks. We also, another one would be like, we are updating some of our services to the latest version. And so like, they're kind of like smaller, a couple week projects that we're fitting in. And those would be some examples. I could give a couple more, like this ability to, we have, uh, being able to send a specific report, we have this really cool report in Otis called a query where you can search for kids based upon very select criteria of like, show me the kid who scored above 100 on this test, who has been absent more than two times and has shown this behavior. Okay, here's the you know 20 kids who can do this. We're going to be allowing the sharing of that report more easily because it was a report a lot of people were using and the sharing of it was kind of complicated and we wanted to make that easier. That's another one that kind of fit into these eight weeks, as well as we were improving our baseline for logins. You know, we have this goal of 10x, you know, and right now we want to increase where we currently were by 3x. And then, you know, a couple of weeks from now, we'll go from that 3x, we'll do another 3x and we'll get to that 10x over time instead of trying to do everything in one fell swoop. Love it. That's great. Those are very tangible. Thanks. Okay, so let's go back to kind of differentiating from competition then. How much of your time do you spend trying to listen to the market directly versus looking at what competitors are doing and then trying to reverse engineer? Maybe this is where the market's going based on what they're doing. Yeah, so what we try to do is we really try to focus with our current users, our current districts, like what is more difficult than it should be? And we really don't want to get into like, do this or do that. We really put a lot of time into making sure that we're discussing what problem or what action or what report or what task is more difficult than it should be. And with that as the starting point, we really want to articulate and gather about what needs to happen in order for us to solve that problem. And during that part of the research or the investigation or the understanding, that's really where the competitive research comes into play where it's like, oh, in XYZ system, it is easier to do that. Well, now let's kind of break it down. Why is it easier to do it in that system? You know, what's the benefit of that? What's the negative for that? How can we learn from that, you know, advantage that maybe a competitor has? Or maybe there's something like, oh, they're solving this problem and it's just being used to solve, you know, the problem that the, the district's talking about. So we really start with what are the problems facing our districts? And when we really understand that problem, we then will look at the competitive landscape of like, how are they solving it? That's like the main focus. I would say that's like 75% of what we're doing. The 25%, and this is, it's much more like quarterly. Where are competitors going at this higher level, right? Like, what are they doing? What pivots have they made? If we look at their release roadmap, or if we look at what they're doing 
what have they been trying to go to at this larger level? So we look at kind of the one-off situations of, oh, we're trying to solve this problem. Let's learn from the competitors out there. Maybe they're doing something we haven't realized. That's one way we look at the competitive landscape. But then we also quarterly try to take a step back and look at those trends. And we're really trying to do the same thing. It's like, what problems are they trying to make easier in their platforms that we should be aware of? Like, where is their North Star? Can we figure it out? Can we kind of reverse engineer like, oh, this is where they're kind of seeing themselves going. And because of that, we can then maybe learn where, where do they think the market's going? I've asked that question or some version of that question at least 75, 80 times. That is easily my favorite answer to that question ever. Well, I'll take that as a nice compliment. It's definitely something that I think has helped us a lot to look at it in that way. That's awesome. Switch gears a little bit. So I'm I'm interested and I'll provide some context. I'm interested in this partly because you're selling to education, which, you know, there's a handful of education based startups in the in Indianapolis, which is home base for me. And so we see a fair bit of those and and know how difficult it can be to sell into education. So it's partly coming from that perspective, as well as it sounds like you have a, a relatively robust offering, multiple modules, multiple ways to think about how you could package it up and sell it. So I'm kind of interested in how you and the team approach pricing. And you don't, I mean, obviously prices change over time. You probably don't want to disclose pricing on a podcast, but philosophically, or maybe from a process perspective, how do you and the team approach it, think about it and kind of walk through it? Because I think there's a couple of interesting things there. You do have a an enterprise offering as well as you're selling into education. And I think those are two hard things just in general, and you're doing both. This is the area I think we're still trying to grow and figure it out. And we're trying to figure out this whole, but I think we have an amazingly, our client success team is amazing in their ability to see, okay, this is how we're going to support our users. This is how we're going to kind of grow their use of the product. This is the entry point. This is how they're going to grow into the platform. They have a really good understanding of that. I think our sales team has a really wonderful way of talking about the product. This is what Otis can do. The area that I think we're still trying to figure out is this whole pricing model because we understand that we have this price that we have in our minds of, okay, if you use all of Otis, if you, every single part, if you're like full into Otis, our pricing works for, you know, X dollars. And we come to that with, okay, how much does a traditional LMS cost? How much does this assessment engine cost? How much does this progress monitoring tool cost? How much does this data warehouse tool cost? Awesome. And we can then come up with that price. We can add up all the different, you know, different pieces of this. And it's like often about five bucks a kid if we just do easy math for right now. So it's like, oh, 20 bucks a kid. Well, we don't need 20 because we're making things a little bit more efficient. It's like, oh, 12, 15 bucks a kid. Like, awesome. That's like right there. The real question gets into, okay, that's a good starting point. But what if I'm only entering and using only the LMS feature? And you get into this really interesting question where it's like, you don't want to like, always be upcharging, 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 because you want them to naturally like, oh man, you're using, you know, our teaching functionality. You're being able to do a lot of lessons, a lot of this learning management stuff. Great. Well, now you're dabbling into assessment. Well, you don't want to all of a sudden hike up the price because it's like, well, then you feel like you're getting nickel to dime. And we don't want that. We want to be a solution that's just used. And so we've really had to come at it with this way of, we really started to go based upon the size of your school, and then the, so the number of students and like our kids accessing it. So and it, with that information, we can then say, okay, cool. We're going to start here. We're going to kind of take it as you think you're going to use these tools. 
you know, are going to use this portion. This is your price. We're going to let it go for the year, but we're going to be with you and like grow into more. And it's been really successful, but I, it's really an interesting one about pricing because that's the one where, you know, you'd ask me the question about, you know, how do we look at our competitors? That's one I really feel like we have a good handle on, whereas pricing, I feel like we have a good idea. I think we have a good inkling, but it's like we saw some of our users grow 3000% in their usage of Otis. And the idea is like, you know, that's amazing to see, you know, does the pricing reflect that? You know, we actually had, you know, Skippy, I don't know if this is something you ever want. It's like, they were surprised that we were as inexpensive as we were because they're like, man, you do all of these things. And it's like, well, it's like, man, should we charge you a couple bucks more? Well, we really want to get these, we want to get districts using Otis. We really think that, and I think products always talk about like, how sticky are you? I really feel like once you're in Otis, we make things more efficient and effective. Therefore, you use us more, you use us more. Now we're making a bigger impact on student learning. We're making a bigger impact on the district's implementation. And now we become more valuable. And over time, I think it works out. I really do believe it's important to, you know, we're in over, you know, as I said, about 200 districts, we want to grow that. And it's like, I think the pricing can catch up. I'm um, not that we're going to like hike prices, but as we figure that out, we really want to be supporting districts, especially as many of them face budget cuts during the pandemic. So go back in time with me a little bit. A lot of folks listening to this podcast are in the process of building and launching a SaaS product. And so I'm particularly interested in some of your early experiences selling Otis and trying to figure out that early kind of friends and family pricing almost, right? I mean, these are the early customers who are taking a risk on you and are probably still some of the customers who I'm guessing you have the closest relationship with in terms of getting feedback on the product and product roadmap. So when you approach those first three, five, 10 customers, how did you think of pricing then versus how you think of pricing now? Are there any stories or examples that come to mind? Yeah, I'd say when we first started, we really looked at pricing more as what seemed reasonable and we were still figuring out where we fit because we were in this really bizarre when we first started out we're like we i think language is such a it's such a prism that's interesting to look at because like you have to use words that are already known by your user base or your client base or your potential client base that makes sense to them and when you're trying to do something that doesn't perfectly fit with the old language it forces you then to put a lot of caveats well we're like an lms but but it also makes you do the same things with pricing. And so we really just did a very simple, you know, hey, we're going to be around the price of an LMS, you know, five, seven bucks, boom, we're just going there. Even though we do something different, it was just the easiest. And so when you're in a company, sometimes it's like when you're just launching a product, it's like, let's do what's easiest. You know, I know that's probably not the best, but when you're in a SaaS company, you're going to be reviewing your subscription costs and you don't want to be completely off. You don't want to be, you know, miles away, but sometimes simple is better. And I think it's much easier to explain to a district. You want to be able to explain, how do you got your number? This is our number. But then also when that number changes or grows, which it's going to change and grow as you add more features, you add more things, it's going to grow. You want to be able to easily explain, okay, this is our reasoning. We're starting here. We're getting a lot of use as a, in one of our situations, we get a lot of use as a learning management system. We don't think we're exactly a learning management system. We think we have the tools of that. But okay, you understand that box. So you understand that box. This is again, five, six years ago when we we're just starting. So, okay, you understand that box. Let's price it to that box. We'll explain it, but we don't want to lose the sale for that reason. Let's have a simple price, you know, five bucks, seven bucks, even though we think that's a little bit less than we could be. 
Let's get people using it. Let's get that feedback. We can ask, okay, what would it make sense to grow that price to eight bucks a kid, to 10 bucks a kid, to 12 bucks a kid, to 50, you know, all of a sudden getting to that range you want, it could be more possible. And so we really went with the simple route of, okay, this box, this wording is known. We're going to use that. We're going to go with that pricing for now. And we're going to be able to adopt. We're going to modify like, okay, let's use this language to indicate why we're more expensive than something that they know. We're like the upper brand or the, you know, the combination of multiple things. And that's really helped us get to where we are today. Love it. And how often are you reevaluating those prices for a given district? And What's the cadence for maybe going back to the district and reviewing those? Is that, you know, done on the semester because of the way that that their cycle goes? Or is that done annually? Or do you wait until it's grossly out of alignment? So it might be three or four years before you go back and talk to a district about pricing. What's the cadence internally for how you guys think about that? And then what's the process for doing it? I'd say it's something that we're looking by annually at internally. So internally, we're looking at it in advance of when we're going to announce it. And then halfway through, we kind of evaluate, how did we do? How did we not? With districts, for the most part, the wide majority are dealing with one-year contracts. So it's really important to come to the pricing every year. Now, there are occasions where we might sign a two, three-year contract where we like, we lock in a price. But when we talk about as a company, we really want our prices to be an annual thing for our districts to be able to handle. Because districts, school districts are really working on a budget that's fixed from year to year. And it's not really a feasible thing to upcharge them during the year. And we don't want to do that. We want to, again, we, again, 40% of our company are former educators. We want to be there to help maximize learning for every single student. And so we really look at it like each year we take into account things. We modify our pricing for that. We don't want to get into these situations of having to do like a three-year catch-up. I don't think that's really effective. Now, it could come into play if a district signed into a three-year locked price. But in that situation, they blocked in a price and then, you know, we're progressing. But we really want our annual pricing to be kind of uh, progressive in our analysis, our thinking and our reflection on how it should go. Who leads that pricing discussion internally? Is that you from a product perspective? Is that somebody on the sales team? Is that customer success? Like who's driving that analysis and conversation internally? Yeah, that's really driven by our COO, uh, Keith Westman. He is uh, oversees our marketing team, our operations team, and also our client success team. I'm a part of that conversation, but much more loosely in terms of more as a co-founder, more as the product vision about like, hey, what can the product do? Where do we see the product going? Because we want to make sure our pricing is anticipatory of what's going to be happening next. But it's definitely much more of that side. But it's, it's a really important conversation to have. And it's an important conversation to be monitoring not always when the decision has to be made, right? So we're going to be making pricing adjustments at the end of the year for our new clients. But if we were to get a new client, sorry, in November, we'd want a good idea of the pricing of what it should be. Even if the prices might not change for our current subscribers until that June for the next school year, we want to be thinking ahead of, hey, how did it go? What is the feedback bit? We really want it to be something that's shaped so that we, we're not just reacting all the time, but we're anticipating what needs to happen. Awesome. Chris, I got to let you go. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. If folks want to learn more about Otis or if they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, the best way to learn about Otis is definitely to go to otus.com. That's otus.com. We have a great website detailing the solutions and how they fit. We also have a social media presence on Twitter and Facebook. On Twitter, it's Otis K12. 
The best way to reach me is either LinkedIn, you know, Chris Hall, and you can just find me. I love to talk and chat with people. Otherwise, it's also on Twitter and I'm Otis Hull. So O-T-U-S-H-U-L-L. And it's definitely great to talk to anybody. So awesome. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you making the time. Thank you very much. Startup Competitors provides monthly handcrafted email updates on your top competitors. Keep up to date on new hires, marketing activities, events, awards, new product launches, pricing changes, funding, and a bunch more. Learn more at startupcompetitors.com.